the Garden of Eden is not the beginning of the story. The story begins from eternity. The Garden of Eden is just the dramatization of the story. God begins to dramatize the salvation story in the Garden of Eden with the coming of Adam as the type of Christ, as a figure of Christ, as the one through whom Christ would be revealed to us the way that we understand the gospel. Adam did not sin because of an accident. That was not an accident. Adam sinned because God determined that he would sin. Because if Adam does not sin, you don't need Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, you have no life. The only way that you can have life is if you are in Jesus and you possess the righteousness of Jesus. So in God's wisdom and plan and purpose, Adam had to sin and praise God that Adam sinned. Because if Adam does not sin, you still have to stand on your own. And you can't stand on your own. You can only stand in Christ and what he has done. So that story God has been telling with Adam and Eve, Eve as a type of the church, as a type of you and I, and Adam as a type of Christ. So as Adam and Eve died because of what they ate from the tree, we also live because of what God has hanged on another tree, Jesus Christ. That's how the two stories are connected. Adam died and sin came through eating from this tree and life has come also through the one who was hung on another tree and we eat him, we partake of him that we may have life. So what is happening in the garden is not just a story and because people don't understand the story of salvation, they make it about, oh, Adam was so bad. I actually had John Hagee say, oh, when I go to heaven, I'm going to kick Adam for bringing sin. Like, okay, if you go to heaven and you still are that angry, then you're in the wrong place. <laughs> you can't go to heaven and be that angry as to kick Adam. Uh, <laughs> but... If you listen to a lot of preachers, they don't realize that everything that you find in the Bible is just a dramatization of Christ. So when you're reading it correctly, you always find the gospel, whether you're talking about Abraham and Isaac, Isaac being Jesus Christ, being offered, uh, willingly getting offered. And you see there was a ram that came that was caught in the thicket of the bush. And that thicket is the crown that Jesus had when he died. And that is the gospel that God is talking about in that story. Okay, so every one of those stories, whether you're talking about Joseph and his brothers, Joseph is Jesus Christ. King David is Jesus Christ. Solomon is Jesus Christ. All these prophets... They are Jesus Christ. All the kings of Israel, they are revealing to us something about Jesus. Okay? But because they are sinful men and women, you don't see Christ in them, but he is there. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I would want to excite your spirits because that is the nutrition 
spiritual nutrition that you need in this journey. We are sojourning in the wilderness and you need to be fed. Okay? You need to be fed with the manna from, from God, Jesus Christ himself. And the teaching of his word, the teaching of his gospel is the word from, is our food and our drink. I don't know, uh, we, we're done with the singing, right? We can always sing some more. I sent a, a lot of songs that she was supposed to sing. Being a sinner as she is, and, and being in need of grace, <laughs> no charge shall be laid on her. God has justified her. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, right? This morning, I, I don't have my time, but I, I, I bought this thing for, to bring it here to Hawaii. I never had this thing until this trip. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is a mobile pulpit. It, it, it goes everywhere. <laughs> when we get done, remind me so that we can pray particularly if anybody has any issues, any things that you just want us to pray about and bring before the Lord. And I'm going to be encouraging you. It's one of the things that we talked about last night. To experience the power of Christ, you need to pray. The shortest distance between you and heaven is your knees and the ground. We need to pray. We desperately need to pray. And when, we are, when I'm talking about praying, I'm not talking about praying for 15 minutes or giving long prayers. I'm not talking about that. But to just have the sense of praying, when you begin to pray, even as you are driving, even as you are just cooking dinner or making breakfast, you are praying, you are talking to your God. It gives you amazing power and God begins to teach you some things that you've never experienced before. You start seeing things that you've never seen before. You start experiencing some peace that you've never seen before. You start seeing things that you never were seeing before that have always been happening. Okay. So prayer is very, very, very important. And I've been stressing that a lot, that we need to pray. Jesus, the Son of God, was always praying. So we need to pray. So when we are done with our teaching, if you have any particular issue, anything that the Lord just brings to you to say, you need this. We're going to be praying about that. Okay? It's needful. Prayer is one thing that you can't fake. Okay? Because if you're doing it by yourself, no one is seeing you. <laughs> so you can't fake it. But when you start doing it, you realize that it gets better and better and easier and easier. And the Lord just gives you so much grace to say, don't worry about, oh, my theology is not good. Look at blind but me as his theology was perfect and yet it was only son of David, have mercy on me. Sometimes that's all you have to say. Lord, help me. I don't have anything else. I don't know what to say, but help me, Lord. I need help. I just need help. Okay. So let us go before him uh, and ask for his blessing. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, I come before you to honor your holy name, to acknowledge who you are as the Holy One who sits on the throne. Lord, we just 
praise your holy name, your majestic name, because you are full of glory and honor, even our Lord Jesus Christ, who died to save us from our sins. Lord, I pray that Christ would come and show himself to his people, that he would come and show himself as the pierced one, the one who was raised on the cross, but not only that, but the one who entered into the grave for three days and three nights, but not only that, the one who overcame death and resurrected. And not only that, the one who rose and is now seated at the right hand of God in glory. Lord, may you cause your people to see him for who he is. May you come and speak to them where they are. You know what they need to hear. You know what they need to hear that they may hear from you. May you teach us this morning, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark, uh, wrong sermon. Okay. One time at our previous church that we used to go to, I was supposed to preach. We used to live 45 minutes away from our church. And then I was supposed to preach. It's 15 minutes before I'm supposed to start preaching. I realized I forgot my sermon at home. And then I get in the car, I try to drive, and I realize it's 90 minutes at the best. And I'm supposed to be, we are supposed to be closing church service to go home by the time that I come back. So I went into the basement of the church and I just started praying and said, Lord, help me. I am so in trouble. (laughs) And I went and read John, sorry, Romans chapter 4. And I preached from Romans chapter 4. And it was one of the best sermons that I ever preached at that church. A sermon that I prepared like 15 minutes before. I didn't even preach the one that I had written down. Okay. So the Lord was teaching me something there to not rely on myself. We are going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, you know the story very well. That's the story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus. This story is a wonderful story. But you're going to hear it in a way that I pray you've never heard it before. And may the Lord help you to hear it and to understand it because you need it. You need the Jesus of the Samaritan woman. The Jesus who comes to this woman. The Jesus who comes and makes an appointment with this woman without the woman knowing The Jesus who goes on a date with this woman. And he comes and he reveals himself to her. And in the process, he preaches the gospel in this story. This is going to be a very condensed teaching because when I was teaching in John 4, these were actually five sermons. And that means about seven to eight hours that I taught on this story. So I'm going to give you a condensed version of all the sermons. Okay. So we'll begin from verses 15 and 18 of John chapter 4. John records and says, The woman said to him, that is to Jesus, Say, give me this water so I would not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, 
Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The title of our message is The Samaritan Woman and Jesus. And the second title, A Husband Problem. A Husband Problem. As I said, you have heard this story told a lot. A lot of people are familiar with this story. And if you listen to the majority of the teaching of this story, the understanding is that, well, Jesus loved women. He did not ill-treat women. He was very nice to women. He came and talked to this woman. So as Christians, we are to be very nice to our fellow sisters in Christ. And some maybe will even say, this is saying Hillary Clinton has the right to also run and become president of the United States. After all, Jesus did not condemn the woman, the, the Samaritan woman. This is how you are supposed to treat those who are despised. Some of those things may be true, but that's not the reason why the Holy Spirit recorded this message. And if that's all we come out with from this story, then we did not understand anything about the story. Let's backtrack in the story and go to verse 7 of John 4, and we are going to read from verses 7 to 14. The story says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well, and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. The land of the Samaritans. Samaria, the Samaritans were a people, a mixed breed of people between the northern ten tribes of Israel and the Assyrians. And Jesus has to pass through Samaria, this place of the despised. 
because he had an appointment with one of his own, the text says he had to pass through Samaria. There was a divine necessity for him to pass through Samaria. There was no other way he had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because God is the God of appointment. He's the God of appointment. No one meets with Jesus unless God has set an appointment for them with Jesus. For no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws them. No one can come to Jesus unless God the Father draws them, sets the appointment to meet and talk with Jesus. You have to pick a number to talk with Jesus. And no one hears about Jesus without an appointment with Jesus. So God the Father schedules all the appointments with Jesus. And if Jesus has an appointment with this woman, she has to be at the place of appointment. She has to be at the well at the time that she has to meet with Jesus. And I pray that the Lord would also pass by this land of the Samaritans and make an appointment with you. And so Jesus was appointed by God to meet with us today in the place that we are. If we are talking about Jesus, it's only by appointment. We don't just get up and say, oh, today is boring. I don't have anything to do. Let me see if I can make an appointment with Jesus. It does not work like that. If we are here, it's all because he has already made the appointment. So it is he who draws his people to the place that he intends to meet with them so that he may reveal himself to them. But let's look at the profile of the Samaritan woman because for us to understand the gospel and to see ourselves in the story, we have to see the profile of the woman. The woman had a resume. She had a CV. She had some profile, some Facebook profile. So in our day and time, she would be someone with a Facebook account. Because later on, she is going to argue theology with Jesus like a lot of women and people are doing on Facebook. She's going to be arguing about theology, about who God is, about worship. So she is a woman, number one. She is a woman and she is a Samaritan. That's a double whammy. That's bad. That's a bad resume for her. She's a woman and she's a Samaritan. She was from a mixed race of people, as I said, between the Assyrians who had conquered the northern ten tribes, also called the northern kingdom. And because they were a mixed race of people, they were treated as inferior people by the Jews. But because of their history, they also believed in the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch are the five books, the first five books of the Old Testament. So they have that history 
of the Old Testament, they hold to the writings of Moses. They trace their ancestry back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just like the Jews. But they considered all other writings of the Jews as heretical. They did not hold to any other books but the five. So they call the Jews heretics. And the Jews call the Samaritans heretics. No love lost. But the Samaritans had accepted that they were inferior people. A despised people, they had come to accept their inferior position in society. And so they kept their distance from the Jews. But the Lord shows up during the day to meet with this woman, one of his from among the Samaritans. And so John records for us again in John 4, 7 and says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? Jesus, what's wrong with you? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus is supposed to be thirsty. Jesus is supposed to be thirsty because he has been walking since morning. And so he approaches the woman and says, and he issues a command and says, give me a drink. Give me water to drink. And Jesus is by himself because he had sent his disciples away into the city to buy some food. So Jesus knows something about dating. He sends the other guys away that it may just be him and her. And that command by Jesus shocked the woman. Remember who Jesus was. Jesus was also a rabbi. And as a rabbi, he would have been wearing some clothing that suggested that he was a teacher. So that gave him away. But not only that. There was something so obvious about him that communicated to the Samaritan woman that he was a Jew. And the woman in shock says to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And so John gives us the, the scoop, the detail, that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, period. Jews could not share utensils or cups with Samaritans especially the women, especially the women, because among the Jews, there was a legend that Samaritan women, they never got off their cycle. And therefore, according to the law, if you were always on your cycle, you were always unclean. So this woman is shocked that this Jew apparently has time and even has the audacity to come and ask for a drink from someone who's supposed to be unclean. Starting to hear the story. Getting clear, right? And so this really comes as a shock to him. That this Jewish rabbi would come and talk to a Samaritan woman. 
The Samaritan woman knows that if a Jew drinks, because she knows the law, she holds to Moses. If a Jew drinks from a cup of a Samaritan, he becomes ceremonially unclean according to the law. And so how is it that this Jew is risking to be made unclean by drinking water from her water pot? What kind of a Jew is this? Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus does not answer the question. He always, when you're reading Jesus, he almost sounds like, <laughs> never answers the question. The lawyer comes to Jesus and asks Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes and ends up telling him about the Good Samaritan story. Jesus, it doesn't take that long to answer the question. You know the answer, Jesus. The man has come to the right person. You could never come to the right person more than anyone would come to Jesus and ask Jesus about salvation. You are talking to the right person and you are asking the right question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus almost sounds like he's not even answering the question at all. So listen to what Jesus says. <laughs> if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus has used the first command to draw the woman into his own question. Jesus is drawing the woman in to the conversation. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now that is some tricks, Jesus. That is some serious dating skills. I'm not even kidding. Jesus has a big bag of tricks up his sleeve. <laughs> he is the one who came looking for water to drink. So how is it that before he even gets the water, he is already asking her to ask him about his own water? Jesus, you were the one who came looking for water to drink. So how is it that I have to know you, I have to know who you are to get your water? Why don't you just drink your own water? You're thirsty. You do not know me. You don't know who I am. And you haven't had the water that you asked me. And yet you are already changing this thing. Confusing me. But see what Jesus is doing. <laughs> Jesus used the water to draw her attention. To draw attention to the woman. And to turn around the conversation. Jesus wants to turn around the conversation. Jesus knows something about dating. I told you, this is a date. And Jesus is going to get his woman. Jesus wants her to be interested in his own water that he brings. But that water does not simply come. The giving of that water is tied to the identity of Jesus. He's not just going to give you the water. He says, if you knew. So the, the question is, 
I want you to be curious about who I am. <laughs> if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So there's a gift of God, but this gift requires that one knows who it is who says to the woman, give me a drink. So Jesus says the giving of his water is tied to his identity. To his identity. The identity of the giver is very important. And once she knows the identity of the giver, then she can ask for the gift. So the identity of Christ is very important testimony in salvation. Anyone who denies the identity, the person of Christ as the Son of God, as the Christ, as the Son of David, cannot get the water. So all these denominations who deny the identity of Christ cannot ask for the water. And the water is salvation. The water is salvation. And Jesus says, without coming to a proper conclusion of who I am, there's no way that you can have my water. Jesus talking to the disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? And the disciples said, some say you are John the Baptist, others say you are Elijah, and yet others, you are Jeremiah, and some say, or oh, one of the prophets. And Jesus did not even say anything to that. He did not say, oh, they were wrong. Or he did not say, oh, they were close enough. Jesus does not want close enough. Jesus said, but who do you say I am? Who do you say that the son of man is? Who do you say? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus did not say, oh, Peter, you are so good. Your mother taught you well. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah. Si Simon the son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. So the blessing of the gospel is the revelation of the identity of the person of Christ. The best words that will ever come out of your mouth between now and death and eternity is Jesus. That's the only name. That is the best thing that you can ever say at any point in time. There's nothing important that you've ever said that is more than Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. If you have the wrong Jesus, he'll give you the wrong water. He'll give you some distilled water. Maybe some Gatorade. But not the living water. Why? Because the giving of God's gift is tied to his identity and the confession of it. You have to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God. But you are the one who is going to come and ask for that gift, but you can't ask for that gift unless the Father comes and reveals Christ and he draws you and he quickens you and gives you spiritual life to confess Christ. Jesus always makes the first move. So both the revelation of the giver and the gift are in God's hands and not the woman. The woman is clueless. No man or woman or child can just decide to know Jesus. But 
once you know who he is, you can't help but ask him to have his water. Lord, may I have your water. Listen to verse 11. The woman's response. She said to him, Say, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? The woman has a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding. She is confused. She is operating in the flesh. But she is not the only one. Nicodemus has been there before with Jesus. In John chapter 3, we need to all go there. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Nicodemus is confused about the new birth. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know, I know, we know, we talked about you in our gathering with my friends and we came to the conclusion that you are sent from God. And Jesus flips and says, not that fast. You have no ability whatsoever to make a commentary of my origin. You don't know who I am. When you read what Nicodemus said, it's very innocuous. It doesn't sound like Nicodemus said anything bad. But Jesus is so mad that when you go past verse 9, he just keeps talking. Why? Because he had given to himself power to know who Christ is without the revelation of God. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work like that. So Nicodemus is confused about the new birth. He thinks one has to crawl back into their mother's belly. And Jesus says, no, 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 Nicodemus. You are such a grown man. You can't fit back into your mother's belly. And Nicodemus is struggling. He's thinking, okay, how is this going to work? I am an old man. How do I get born again? Confusion. Why? Because he's thinking in the flesh. And probably Nicodemus is thinking, my mother just turned 66 last night. She's too old to have a baby. And even worse, maybe my mother has already died. I don't have a mother to crawl back into to be born again. So if that's the case, I am done. I am undone. But Jesus says, you have to be born again from above. 
in a spiritual way. A spiritual birth, not a physical birth. Jesus is talking spiritual things. So, Sister Sarah, I call her Sister Sarah. Sister Sarah Samaritan is also confused. She does not realize that Jesus is talking about a water that functions at a different level, not at the physical level, but at the spiritual level. She looks at Jesus and says, you must be out of your mind. You have no instrument in your hands that can get water out of this well, and it is a very deep well. Jacob's well is so deep, and you have nothing, you have no instrument, you have nothing in your hands with which to fetch the water. Tell me, how then are you going to fetch this water and give it to me? You have nothing. This man is surely a very interesting character. And she surely is not afraid to talk with men. She's not afraid. Verse 12, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. That's a question. So the woman now, in the face of what Jesus is saying, she wants to make a theological assessment of who Jesus is. She wants to find a way to measure Jesus, to weigh him so that she can have an idea of what kind of man she's talking to. She wants a reference point so that she can engage Jesus. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And that question in the Greek, anticipates a yes answer. Jesus is supposed to say yes, but he answers it in a different way. So the woman is curious to find who this man is, so she has to go back to the Old Testament, to the Pentateuch, and say, okay, I know the people of God of old. Jesus, how do you compare? Are you above are you a prophet? Are you at the same level? Where are you? <laughs> Listen to Jesus' response, verse 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus answers the question, but indirectly. He does not say, of course, I am greater than your father Jacob. He says, I am greater than him because of the water that I give compared to the water that Jacob gives. Whoever drinks water from Jacob's well will thirst again. They will die. And if they thirst again, they shall never have life. And if this is the only water they have to drink, there's no hope for them. Because they have to keep coming and coming and coming and drinking and drinking, but never be able to quench their thirst. They can never satisfy the need for righteousness. It's a gospel question and a gospel answer. This water is inferior, and because it's inferior, I am greater than Jacob. (laughs) 
because I give water that functions at a higher level. Okay, so do, do you want to know how great I am? Look at the water that I give. And only God can give this water. And I am telling you, if you have ears to hear, that I am God. So what is the problem with this water? The water from this well is a water of works. One has to fetch it daily. And at some point, they are going to run out of strength to draw from it. Remember, it's that deep. You need to be able to have very good physical strength to be able to continuously go to this well day by day and try to pull the water every single day. So that's a picture of works, salvation. So when you have to draw water from Jacob's well, you need to bring your own instrument or bucket to continually draw from it. And you have to exert your own effort to get it. And if drawing water from Jacob's well is a picture of salvation, then you shall never find life in it. This water will not give you rest. See something else that is important. It's water in a well. And water in a well does not flow. It's stagnant water. And that means it does not have life. You will not see a lot of life in stagnant water. You want water that flows. Water that flows is clean. It is life. But there's another water, a different kind of water that this Jew alone is able to give is superior water and this water proves to the woman that Jesus is greater than Jacob. And this water will become in the person a well that springs up to eternal life. It flows. You see, hear the language of Jesus. He says this water is living water and it flows. It wells up. The water in Jacob's well does not flow, so it does not give life. And the one that drinks the water that Jesus gives will never thirsty again. So if you understand that then yes, I am greater than your father Jacob. <laughs> but what is that water, Jesus? What is that water, Jesus? John 7, verses 37 to 39. I'm drinking my own water. I, I hope it's not from Jacob's well. <laughs> John 7, verses 37 to 39. Jesus says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had not yet been put on the cross. Because the Holy Spirit is the promise of the new covenant. It's part and parcel of the blessings that we have because of what Christ accomplished in his life and his death. So what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit will be given to his, to his people and he will provide continual satisfaction. He will give rest to God's people, all those who thirst because of their sin. 
And Jesus is saying, it is he alone who gives the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is the Messiah. And it is the function, the job of the Messiah to give the Holy Spirit. Benny Hinn does not give the Holy Spirit. There's no man who can give the Holy Spirit. Jesus alone is he who gives the Holy Spirit. And so the woman begins to get very intrigued by this water. And now she has to have it. She has to have it. She is testing for it. And it's almost like women with shoes. <laughs> they go to the mall, see some nice pair of shoes. Like, I got to have it. I'm going to charge you the card. It doesn't matter. So she has to have the water. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Sister Samaritan does not get it still, but she has been turned from the giver of the water. Remember, she is the one who is supposed to give water to Jesus. Now she is begging for the water that Jesus has. <laughs> Remember what happened at the beginning. Jesus comes, he's thirsty, he says, give me water to drink. <laughs> Jesus does not get the water. The woman is already asking to have the water that Jesus has. The hunter has become the hunted. <laughs> but she says the right thing for the wrong reason. She says, sir, give me this water. Why, sister? So I will not be thirsty again, nor come all the way here to draw. She does not want to come back to draw water anymore. Jesus, can you put some piping in my house? That's what she's asking. Jesus, are you a plumber? Can you dig a well by my house so that I don't have to come here in the heat of the day? That's what she's thinking. She's still in the flesh. But she's going to get it. She's still in the flesh. So she's thinking, well, physically, I won't be thirsty again. And that will save me from the labor of coming to the world every day and in the heat of the day to come fetch water. But she's right about one thing. If she can get this water... As far as salvation is concerned, she will rest from her labor. She will rest. But I think there's another motivation for her not wanting to come to fetch water in the heat of the day. Hear this, verse 16. He, Jesus, said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The Lord says, You go call your husband and come to me. Come back to me with your husband. So Jesus issues another command. Jesus is now in the driving seat. Remember the woman has just tried to give Jesus a command and say, say, you give me the water. And Jesus says, no, you go call your husband. <laughs> what has this anything to do with the conversation? But Jesus does not work on her commands or anyone's command. Though he is the one who asked her to ask him for water. Jesus will say, oh, come to me. And you talk to me. You ask me. But then he says, no. I'm the one who has to make demands on you. 
But Jesus says, before we get to that point, you go call your husband and come here. Verse 17, 18, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband for you have Sorry, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now Jesus is beginning to expound the theology of what is happening. The woman has to be humbled. See that this woman is not afraid to engage with strange men. And Jesus is going to reveal that to her, why she is not afraid. She is, what's the word I'm looking for? Flippant. She knows a lot about men. And Jesus knows it. (laughs) She has much experience with men. She has had five husbands. Five. And is now on number six. She is on number six. And possibly she can go to number seven. And she is assessing and saying, Jesus, are you better than the one that I already have? Because if you are, I've already left the other ones. I'm willing to get with you. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. good. But a sin has to be revealed first to her before she can properly deal with Jesus and his proposal. Jesus says, you go call your husband. Jesus wants to bring the woman to the real terms of salvation. To make a true confession of who she is before God. Because God already knows what is true about her. But he wants her to make the same confession of herself. Because that's what confession means. To confess does not mean to go about telling people all your sins. That's not what it means. It's a compound word. Two Greek words, homo and logeo. Homo, same. Logeo is from logos, words. is to say the same words as someone. So when you make a confession before God, you are saying the same things as God is already saying about you. When you confess who Jesus is, you are saying what God is already saying that Jesus is. So the woman has to be brought to a point where she confesses, that is, she agrees with everything that Jesus already knows about her. (laughs) So she has to repent and acknowledge or confess her sin. She has to agree with Jesus that Jesus knows that she is a sinner and that she is involved with some illicit relationship. Jesus is the revealer of secrets. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. And that word is Jesus. So Jesus says to him, You have correctly said you have no husband. You gave a correct confession of your situation. I will give that to you. But let me tell you something. I know about what is going on with your life. You have had five husbands and I've always known about that. And the one you currently have is not your husband. 
He is a live-in boyfriend. Jesus knows that detail. This you have said truly. So Jesus confirms and testifies that the testimony of her sin situation is true and that impresses him because anyone who tells the truth before God will always be saved. The reason why men are not coming to Jesus is because they think God does not know about their sin. God will always serve everyone who comes to him and tell the truth about themselves. Why? Because he already knows. He already knows. You can't hide anything from him. And he even knows it better than we do. <laughs> so Jesus knows all this debt about the woman. But he did not make much of it as we would have made it. Jesus already knows that she has an appointment with this woman. Imagine if it were you going and meeting with someone, some appointment at work, a woman who has these kind of issues, and you're in your car, on your phone, with your girlfriend, with your, you're telling them, oh, I'm meeting this woman. Oh, girl, her life is so bad. She is on her sixth husband. That girl is so bad. Jesus knows all these things, and he's quiet. He's quiet about it. Because he's gentle, Jesus. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He knows. <laughs> and the church of today would have condemned such a one and sent her to hell already. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. But there's more to this story that is uncovered here. We haven't even gotten to the beautiful part of this story. We're working the details. Because we need to work the details. And this is why people don't understand the gospel or don't love the gospel because they never find the glory of the finer details that God drops in there for us. So if you go too fast, you miss a lot of glorious things. Okay. Why did Jesus reveal that scoop about the woman? The woman is a sinner, but her sin found expression and sought to find satisfaction in changing men like shoes. That was the way that a sin manifested itself. Men were hating. If she saw a man, she's like, he's cute. He's cute. <laughs> Our sin will find expression in some particular weakness. Some more obvious than others. But Sister Samaritan knows about men and that is why she's pulling all the kinds of theological punches with Jesus. And let me tell you something, some other scoop. Sister Samaritan was also a very beautiful woman. How do I know that? You can't, in this time and culture, just be changing men like that. Can't do it. Unless she was gorgeous. She's a beautiful woman. And I think she was probably middle-aged. Probably middle-aged. Listen to this. <laughs> so because she's beautiful, and because she changes husbands, she is a man's nature. She is disliked by the women in the village because they are afraid she may just lay her beautiful self on their husbands. Okay. I have evidence to support that. 
She is a husband's nature. And this is why Sister Samaritan has to fetch water in the heat of the day. John tells us that it was the sixth hour. It's midday. And midday in Palestine, the sun is scorching hot. And in this culture, in this climate, you don't draw water in the afternoon. I grew up under that. You draw water in the morning. That's the first thing that all women do. 5.30, they are already drawing water because it's going to get hot. If they don't get it in the morning, they wait until the evening when the temperatures have gone down. So the fact that she is by the well in the heat of the day means she is hiding something. She can't come when all the other women come to fetch water. So she has to come alone. She has to come alone. And so this is why she's so excited about the possibility of having water at her house so that she doesn't have to even come. Give me this water, Jesus. You don't even know. It will save me from all the shame. I know my life. I know all these people. They know my life. If I can just get some pipe water, I'll just take a shower in my house. I'll wash my clothes. I'll do everything without having to come and expose my sin to these women and be judged by them. John 4, 19 to 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. The sister sees that Jesus had exposed his sin and had, in the process, disarmed her. And so, she has to disarm Jesus quickly because Jesus is going into her personal business. So, she has to change the subject. Jesus, this conversation cannot continue like this. Jesus, you are saying too many things, too many personal things about my life. You can't go about revealing my sin like this. Let us change the subject. Let us change the subject. Let us have a theological argument and leave my life alone. That's what she's saying. And by the way, I have a better subject for you and I to discuss since I perceive you may be a prophet. Let's talk about those things. Since I'm a prophet, let's argue theology. Let's not talk about my personal business. That's what she's saying. <laughs> we have some unsettled theological issues. I perceive you're a prophet, so let's get to worship. Those are more important, Jesus. Worshiping is more important than talking about me at this point. <laughs> so she says, verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What do you have to say about that, Jesus? This is a controversial subject that is supposed by the woman to take away the steam from Jesus. Okay? Listen to verse 21 to 25. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. 
But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers worship the Father in spirit and truth for such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus says, woman, you are religious. I give that to you. You are such a religious woman, but you worship what you do not know. <laughs> and there are a lot of people who are worshiping, but they know not what. So just the exercise of religion does not mean that one knows what they're worshiping. Even in the church, Jesus says, the Father is seeking those who worship him in truth. Christ is truth. And in spirit and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, worship is not about this mountain. It's not about this church building. It's not real estate. It's not location, location, location. The time has come that you can worship him wherever you are. As long as you do it in truth and in spirit. It's not about location. It's about truth. It's about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you worship in ignorance. True worship comes from the Jews. Comes from me. Oh, by the way, Jesus is saying, you Samaritans are heretics. You're heretics still. So Jesus does not relent on the argument. <laughs> But the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will declare, he will reveal all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. How did the woman know that the Messiah is coming? In Deuteronomy 15, I believe, 15, verse 15 to 18, God says to Moses, or Moses says to the children of Israel, God is going to raise another prophet just like me. And to him you shall listen. So all of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they know that there's a prophet that is going to be raised of the likeness of Moses. So she knows that. She knows that that's the Messiah. So that is why she is asking and saying, Are you, where are you, Jacob? <laughs> so that I may know. Okay. So she says, I know that the Messiah is going to come and he will declare all things to us. And Jesus says, the one that is talking to you is him. And this is the only recorded time in the Bible, in the ministry of Jesus, that Jesus clearly said to someone, he is the Messiah. To this woman who is deep in her sin. Do you see something else that is very curious? With the Samaritan woman, Jesus is very patient. He is actually having a conversation. With Nicodemus, the conversation did not go that far. It did not go that far. Nicodemus was not given much to talk about. Jesus has a back and forth with the woman. With Nicodemus, it's a monologue. Jesus is just firing and firing and firing at him. Okay? The disciples return during the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Verses 27 30. Let's hear that. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. You see, just the fact that he was speaking with a woman, the disciples are Jews. They're like, what? 
He's speaking with a woman. And yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to them, and said to the man, come see a man who told me all things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? That is another of the questions where the anticipated response is yes. They went out of the city and were coming to him. So this is what has happened. Jesus has come to this woman and he has progressively revealed himself to the woman in the conversation. Jesus did not come and say, I am the Messiah, believe in me. He came with the water. He came to where the woman was and raised her up to where he wanted her to go. When the conversation started, Sister Samaritan called Jesus a Jew. This is all she could tell by her eyes. Jesus begins to talk. She begins to experience some spiritual awakening. She realizes he may be a prophet. Are you greater than our father Jacob? She says, Say, I perceive you are a prophet. Then she says, I know the Messiah is going to come. She has gone above Jew. She has gone above Jacob. She has gone above the prophet. Now she says, I know the Messiah is going to come. And then she takes off running, goes back to the village, and she says, I have found the Savior of the world. Bingo. Jesus is done with this teaching. Jesus is revealing himself to her. As they are talking, Jesus is working spiritually behind and teaching and teaching and teaching and revealing himself to her. That's glorious. <laughs> why? No one knows the son unless the father reveals. The reason why Mormons cannot rise above their testimony of Christ is because God is not teaching them to go above. And if your testimony of Christ is he is the Christ, the son of the living God, God has given you the revelation to go above your ability to confess Christ. He is good. But see this also. Jesus did not condemn the woman for her sin. Jesus did not condemn the woman of her sin. Jesus did not say, you go and get divorced with your boyfriend or your current husband, your current live-in. doesn't say anything about it. The woman is worldly. She was a very worldly woman. She acknowledged her sin before Jesus. And she even went and said, come meet a man who told me everything about myself. Because that's her personal secret of her life. So when Jesus revealed that about her, that's all she was. That's the summary of who she was. It's not like Jesus was talking to her for two days. The woman is saying, Jesus told me the most important thing about me. He revealed my identity as a sinner. He told me everything about me. She was finding satisfaction in sensual things, in relationships with all kinds of men. She was unlike Nicodemus who had prestige. 
Nicodemus was a ruler of the synagogue. He was a Pharisee, which means he was a self-righteous man. Nicodemus was very powerful, very educated, and a very wealthy man because Nicodemus was a Greek name and only highly affluent Jews were called by Greek names. So Nicodemus is highly educated. He's so powerful. He has so much influence. And he has, he's a Pharisee, so he's self-righteous. And that is why he was so polite when he came before Jesus. And Jesus says, that does not count. You can't come to me and be polite and think that is all. So when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, coming to Jesus by night was a testimony of who Nicodemus was, the darkness that is in Nicodemus. That will be a sermon for some other time. But it's a very important sermon. Why Nicodemus came at night? Because when you are reading the book of John in the opening, it said, and darkness did not comprehend it. Darkness. So when you look at Judas, he betrays Jesus at night. The night and the darkness are themes in the book of John that he now is illustrating in the life of Nicodemus, in the life and what, how Jesus was betrayed. So it's another gospel theme that will be worked out some other time. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, you are just a sinner as evidenced by the fact that you are coming to me in darkness. Okay, And your assessment of me is beyond your pay grade. You have no ability to make that kind of assessment of myself. But with Sister Samaritan, the Lord was very gentle and gracious. She has nothing going on for her. She was deep in sin and she could any time be looking for another man. She's not stopping. <laughs> for she is in the man business. And if she could find a better one, she will go with that one even today. Okay. And on this day, she has found some very interesting men. This man is very intriguing. He knows everything about her and women like that. She has had five husbands and now she has a live-in and... As we are talking, Jesus, she has found a potential suitor, the seventh man, Jesus Christ. Seven in Hebrew is the number of perfection, is the number of completion. In this man that she has found at the well, she has found her perfection. She is now complete in him. <laughs> She has found satisfaction in this perfect man. She has found her all and in all. And because she has found Jesus, she is not ashamed to run to the village to tell her friends and family about this new man, another man. And they are thinking, another man? They are not surprised that she is bringing another man because she's in the man business. But she found a perfect one. This is the one that she has been looking for. This is the man that she has been seeking for all her life. And if she can find a better man, she will tell them about it. She is ready to get 
the next best man, the number seven man, the perfect man. But at number seven, she has to stop. At number seven, she has to stop. Because all who find their best man will get married to him. Even if they are in other relationships with other men. So the other relationships that we have, the other relationships that we have is not really about man, is how sin expresses itself in different ways in our lives. Those are all the other men that we have in our life and we seek satisfaction in the other men, in our employment, in our relationships, in our marriages, in whatever it is, that's all other men. Until the seventh one shows up, you will never have satisfaction. You got to get the seventh man, the perfect one. Best 27, 28. You're almost getting done. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the man, I found the Messiah or something. I, I did not quote verses 29. Okay, that's fine. So she left her water pot and went back into the city and told them that he had met this man who had taught her everything about her. So the woman so excited about Jesus that she left her water pot behind with Jesus. What is that water pot? The water pot was an instrument of her daily labor to fetch water from Jacob's well. Her water pot was an instrument of her laboring to find water that quenches thirst. Her water pot was a picture of her effort of salvation by works. And all those who find this seventh man, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, they leave their water pots with him. You have to surrender all your works of self-righteousness and live it with Jesus. Live it with Jesus. The water pot is the instrument of her laboring. She has been laboring and coming in the heat of the day and now she leaves a water pot with Jesus. So she leaves a water pot with Jesus because when you come to Christ, you cease from your works. You have entered into his rest and because you are complete in him, he is all in righteousness, he is all in sanctification, in redemption, in anything relating to acceptance by God, he is all and in all. And so, my brethren, you also leave your water pot with Jesus. Leave your water pot with Jesus. The Lord says in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, they say a promise is a comfort to a fool, and the extension of that is when a preacher says, oh, we are finishing. If you believe that, it means you are full too. <laughs> Matthew 11, 28 to 30. We are almost done. Just right here. Jesus says, come to me. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The question that we've asked is, did the woman get rest from her works of self-salvation? She did. If you meet with Jesus, you are going to have rest. 
If you have a date with Jesus, you are going to have rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did she not get rest for her soul? She did. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. My burden is light. Is his burden not light? Salvation by grace is a burden so light. Because you bring nothing. You leave your water pot. You don't carry anything to Jesus. You come and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And God gives you freely the righteousness of Christ. And you stop working. You enter into his rest. You stop pulling your own wagons of trying to be good. Of trying to be righteous before him. Of trying to please him. Of trying to be accepted. And God says, you don't have to do that because I'm already pleased in my son. And because you are in my son, I look at you through my son. But one more thing before I finish. At the opening, the Lord said, the Lord had sent the disciples to go get some food. Get some food to eat. And whilst they were gone, he came and asked the Samaritan woman to get him some water to drink. But when you read the conversation, the woman never got to give Jesus water to drink. And Jesus never ate the bread that the disciples brought. He did not drink the water. In both cases, he's the one who commanded for them to go get food. And he's the one who came and commanded for water. But he never drank or ate what was brought to him. Why? Because Jesus is the giver of water. Jesus is the giver of the bread of life from heaven. He is not eating or drinking what you give him. You eat and drink what he gives you. So he did not eat and he did not drink. Listen to John 6, 53-55. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So Jesus did not drink the water because it is not he who needed the water. Jesus is the giver of the water. Jesus did not eat the bread. He is the giver of the bread because salvation is of the Lord. So man, sinners, do not help Jesus in salvation. That's what that is saying. Jesus is saying, I don't need water from your water pot. I don't need your works. You don't help me to save you. You don't. I don't want anything from you. You leave your water pot there. I'm not going to drink from it. You bring your food. You go buy it. I'm not eating it. You eat what I give you. We have to eat and drink what he brings. And that is the story of the Samaritan woman. And that is your story hidden in the Samaritan woman because you are the Samaritan woman who found her perfect husband in Jesus. And now it doesn't matter how many other husbands that you have had, Jesus does not condemn you for the husbands that you have had. He doesn't condemn you for all the other sins. If you have found this one, if you have truly found this husband, 
you go about telling everyone about him. And that is why I came down here because I found my own husband. And I go about telling people about him. Said I found my perfect man. I too were living the same life of the Samaritan woman. And there's no one accepted. In one way or the other, that's your testimony. The Samaritan woman. But when you have found your husband, you can't help but go and tell others what Jesus has done for you. And that's the gospel of grace. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless your name this afternoon. Thank you for your son, the seventh man, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came, having made an appointment to meet us at the well, at the place of our laboring in sin, at the place of our shame, and coming and revealing himself to us, and giving us his water, water not from Jacob's well, but the water that he alone is able to give, the water that springs up into eternal life, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray and thank you that you caused us to leave our water pots with Jesus, that we may run and tell others about what he has done, him who came and taught us everything about us and revealed our sin and yet did not condemn us. Lord, we just praise you for your kindness and your grace in all things. I just pray for these that you gathered here this afternoon, that you cause them to remember this teaching, that they may see themselves in the Samaritan woman, but not only that, that they may see themselves married to Christ, because that's the only marriage that lasts. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help your people. May you keep them from stumbling. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right.